Good evening. Would you please stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. Rend your hearts and not your garments, says the Lord. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? He has showed us what is good, and what does the Lord require of us but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. seated. Immediately following the responsive reading of the prayer of confession, there will be a moment of silence for individual confession. And let us read responsively. My sisters and brothers, Christ shows us his love by becoming a humble servant. Let us draw near to God and confess our sin in the truth of God's spirit.
deserted and denied you. Forgive us, we pray, and by your Spirit, Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. But Christ suffered and died for us, was raised from the dead and ascended on high for us, and continues to intercede for us. Believe the good news. If you have confessed your sins in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The Old, the Old Testament scripture reading is Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on that tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord.
the gospel is in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, and then 31 through 38. John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he had said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed to do them. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Does this seem strange to call love a commandment? Commandments are rules, and no one wants to think of love as a rule. It seems strange to think of love as something that we are forced to do. You know, sometimes we tell our children, love your brother, love your sister. And and I guess for children that we're trying to instill in them an idea, but if we have to make someone love, it doesn't really seem like it's really love. You're going to love whether you like it or not. It just doesn't seem right. And yet Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. What does he mean? What what is this about? What is it he's trying to tell them and us? I think he's trying to tell us that... Love is a command in the sense that it is a defining characteristic of his disciples. He's not saying, I'm demanding that you love. He's saying, if you follow me, you will see how important it is to love. 
From the early days of Israel's, Israel's existence, God teaches them the significance of love. They are taught to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. To put him first, to give him all that they are. But God also tells them in a variety of places throughout the Old Testament that they are to love others. And so often, however, like us, they miss the connection. Jesus is once again putting love front and center. If you love me, you will love one another. If you say that your life is surrendered to, surrendered to me, you will love one another. It's not that he is demanding. He's describing. This is what my people do. And if you don't do this, you're not really my people. And of course, they wonder, as we do, what does this love look like? I mean, the commandment's fine. We wrestle with defining what it means. Lord, we need more than this. What exactly do you mean, Lord? Aren't you going to explain this in more detail, Lord? And I suspect we ask similar questions. The problem for us is that the word love is used in so many different ways in our modern culture. It is difficult to give it a distinctly Christian meaning. We talk about loving to eat. Or we love to go to a sporting event. Or we love to watch movies. We love all kinds of things. So what makes love of another person so different in the context of Jesus Christ? Well, as with these other things, we have to understand that such love cannot be legalistic. People often tell us you cannot legislate morality. Even more, you cannot legislate love. And if this is true, then why does Jesus put the concept of love into the context of a commandment? How can you order someone to love his or her neighbor? I think that the key lies in what follows these words of Jesus. Notice that Jesus does not go on to spell out uh, ten ways of loving people. He doesn't establish a system of rules for accomplishing love he just reminds his followers that love is the grandest expectation. Love is the most natural response of those who claim to be children of the Heavenly Father. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And the only measuring stick against which disciples can judge their obedience to this command is the example of Jesus. As I have loved you, so you love one another. And Jesus sets the example of love by giving up his life for the world. He, his whole existence, is love in action. It's the, it's the very mission and ministry of Jesus. He demonstrates love through his acts of selflessness and sacrifice, by the way he treats the poor and the downtrodden, by his compassion for the burdened and the needy, by this servile act of washing his disciples' feet, by his willingness to go to the cross. All of these acts that flow from him are signs of his great love for every person in the world. The command to love demands, is an act of, demands obedience to Christ because it's how he treats us. And because his desire is that we would be like him. We all know that's easier said than done. To love our fellow human beings means that in some way we have to overcome that basic human instinct to put ourselves first. It's not easy. Look at the disciples. I think sometimes we envision the disciples as this sort of radically cool and connected group of men. They always agree. They never get on each other's nerves. They always do what's best for the group. Are you kidding me? I mean, read the Gospels. They're this ragtag group of men. To the very last hour of Jesus' life, they're arguing about which of them is more important to Jesus. And even later, the great missionary team of Paul and Barnabas have such a disagreement with each other, they go their separate ways. 
Acts tells us that Peter and Paul get into it as they try to debate about Jews and Gentiles and the gospel and how it's going to be shared. And the church continues to be a messy place of imperfect people. We disagree. We argue. We get on each other's nerves. We hurt each other. We struggle with each other. But by the grace of God, we still love each other. No wonder Jesus says, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love each other. When you read these verses in John 13, it might surprise us to read about a new commandment, a commandment to love. And yet, as we hear Jesus' word, as we hear his call, this radical call to obedient living and to community, we embrace his love for us so that we might joyfully Share his love with each other. Amen.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe. You created the heavens and the earth and saw that it was good. From the earth you bring forth bread and create the fruit of the vine. You formed us in your own image, delivered us from captivity, fed us manna in the wilderness, made covenant with us, and set before us the way of life. Therefore, with your people in all ages and the whole company of heaven, we join in the song of unending praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most holy and merciful God, time and again, we turned aside from your way and abused your gifts. Yet you gave us the crowning gift in your Son, Jesus Christ, emptying himself that our joy might be full. He fed the hungry, healed the afflicted, ate with the scorned and forgotten, washed his disciples' feet, and gave a holy meal as the pledge of his abiding presence. On the night he gave himself up for us, At table with those who would desert him and deny him, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, recalling your son's death and resurrection, his ascension and his abiding presence through your Holy Spirit, We ask you to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, which we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a living and holy surrender of ourselves. We pray, Father, that you will send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ, be renewed as his body and transformed into his likeness, that we will faithfully serve him in the world and that we will look forward to his coming in final victory. Through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. We are going to receive communion tonight at the altar rail. We're going to just let you come, um, not by any system. We won't release by rows, but just come as there are openings. We can probably serve about 15 to 20 people at a time. And uh, we will bring to you the bread and the cups And uh, you can partake as you feel ready to do that. You can do it immediately after you receive them. You can wait a little bit. Feel free to stay and to meditate, to pray as long as you would like. And then as places at the altar rail open up, others of you can come. We do have uh, some gluten-free bread here as well. So as you're being served, if that is something that uh, you would like, just let us know and we will serve you. I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe it's the first time you've worshipped here. But if you come tonight with your heart open to Christ, 
with a desire for his grace to be at work in you, then come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. Jesus went forth with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, procuring a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with with lantern and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all this was to befall him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So, if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word which he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into his sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? and their captain and the officers of the Judean authorities seized Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had given counsel to the religious authorities that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. As this disciple was known to the high priest, he entered the court of the high priest along with Jesus, while Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman who guarded at the gate said to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. 
The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple, where all Jewish people could come together. I have said nothing secretly. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, bear witness to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, Are not you also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a kinsman of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the cock crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have handed him over. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The religious authorities said to him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. This was to fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken to show by what death he was to die. Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight, that I might not be handed over to the religious authorities, but my kingship is not from the world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? said this, he went to the religious authorities again and told them, I find no crime in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Will you have me release for you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited the crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, 
I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no crime in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no crime in him. The religious authorities answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he has made himself son of God. When Pilate heard these words, he was the more afraid. He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me to you has a greater sin. Upon this, Pilate sought to release him, but the religious authorities cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, set him down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was day of the preparation of the Passover. It was the sixth hour. He said to the religious authorities, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. They handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Judeans read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. The Jewish chief priest then said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. did this but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near he said to his mother woman behold your son and then he said to the disciple behold your mother and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of the vinegar on hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head 
and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, in order to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the religious authorities asked Pilate that their legs might be broken so that they might take, be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth, that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the religious authorities, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had at first come to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, as the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.